It's Wednesday, April 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Supernova, David Kretzman. Good to see you. Good to see you, Chris. It's been a while. It has been a while. You've been away. I have been away. So, yeah, to be fair. <laughs> Just that is in case true. listeners are like, how come you don't have Kretzman on more often? You know, he was out of town. But no one's wondering that. So, no I, worries. I bet, I bet we get a couple of people wondering that. <laughs> we're going to we're going to talk Tesla. We're going to dip into the solar energy industry. The story of the day, if you're just looking at the business media, the story of the day is Pfizer and Allergan calling off their 160 billion, that's with a B, ladies and gentlemen, 160 billion dollar merger. And we're not going to talk about that. The good news is, Christine Hargis over on Industry Focus is going to go deep into that story. So definitely listen to Industry Focus because, uh, like I said, that is the story of the day, and there there are a lot of moving parts. To that there's the political piece, uh, there's uh, the behemoth that is Pfizer, and and how do they maintain their dividend, and then there is Allergan, and and where does the company go from here? So a lot a lot of a lot of pieces to that story, but uh, that's why you want to listen to Industry Focus. Let's start with Tesla Motors. Sure. Because one of the big stories last week was that Tesla unveiled the Model 3. This morning, they came out with some news on their first quarter deliveries. A little bit of a miss there. But let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's go with the Model 3. And I think later today, they're going to be updating how many pre-orders they've gotten. But the pre-order, as I understand it, is anyone can put down $1,000, and reserve their own Model 3. And as of the the latest public number I saw, 276,000 people. Not bad. So that's $276 million Tesla has this week that didn't have last week. So <laughs> they're they're doing pretty well, you know, that's some nice working capital that, that they can some, work with. But uh Now some of those people can cancel. Right. But, it is refundable, fully but, refundable. But for right now, that's a nice, yeah. Like you said, that's a nice working capital to have. Not, not bad. You know, all in a week's work. You know, um, no. With, with Tesla, uh, the the unveiling last week on March thirty first. Uh, I mean, by by all measures, this is a car that people want. Clearly, with that level of pre orders, which is beyond what I think Elon Musk or Tesla themselves expected. Um, clearly, this is a car that people are very excited for. They want. So really. The way I look at it, the ball is in Tesla's court now. All the company has to do now is execute and deliver what they've promised they can do on time. So, uh, that their schedule at this point is uh, that they'll be able to start manufacturing, delivering these cars by the end of next year. So, I think ideally, you know, in in a dream scenario, you'll or in an ideal scenario, you you'll have all these cars delivered to people. I'd say by the end of 2018 or early 2019. But as we know, with the Model X, the company has had, with their most recent vehicle, the company has had issues with manufacturing, delivery, production, getting things delivered and produced on time. Uh, the Model X was delayed about a year and a half. So I think if, if you saw something similar happen with the Model 3, when you have hundreds of thousands of people, probably close to 400,000 people at this point, it'll be interesting to see what the updated number is, if those people have to end up Waiting, you know, an extra year, year and a half, two years, then you'll probably start to see that uh, refund rate tick up. The Model Three is the 
for lack of a better term, the mainstream vehicle. This is the this is the cheaper version. This is the thirty five thousand dollar version. Yeah, at the base base level. And I I think if you're looking at this and you are maybe not skeptical, but I I think you know, and you touched on this. I think it is fair to look at Tesla and their track record to date in terms of deliveries, and say, come on, can you really do this? Because as I said, they just this morning announced first quarter deliveries fell short of their own target. Right. And they they were very forthcoming about why they missed that target. They were I think they were aiming for sixteen thousand. They came in fourteen thousand and change, something mm-hmm. like that. And among other things, they blamed their own hubris for how much tech they put in the SUV and all and all that sort of thing. And that's you know, that I, I'm I'm always a fan of that kind of candor. Mm-hmm. But I also, and this is not a stock I own, I also look at them and say, okay, so you guys, by your own admission, had trouble delivering 16,000 vehicles. Mm-hmm. And now you've got orders. I mean, whatever the number ends up being later today, let's just assume it's north of 300,000. Yeah, I mean, just for some perspective, last year the company delivered a little bit under 51,000 vehicles for the year. This year they're shooting for 80,000 to 90,000 vehicles. And even with the miss in the first quarter, they're saying we're still on track for 80 to 90,000 vehicles. But then when you have upwards probably 300,000 <laughs> vehicles in pre-order, and that's not including, you know, the Model S or Model X orders that they that they that they'll have and will need to fulfill in that time frame. So, this is a company there, there's a lot of consumer excitement, as, as we mentioned, but it really is now in, in, in the company's court to uh, ramp up that production as quickly as they can while maintaining the quality and integrity of the product, which is obviously really important to the Tesla brand. So, it will be a challenge. And this is a company that's still uh, burning through a lot of cash. They're not making money. So, they burned through $2.1 billion of cash in 2015. They, they really need <laughs> the, the Model 3 vehicle. This has been what uh, Elon Musk describes as the secret master plan for Tesla, where you start with the Roadster, a low-volume, high-priced car, then you move to the Model S, and now the Model X, which is mid-price, mid-volume cars. Then you move to a mass-market, high-volume, lower-priced car with the Model 3. They need the Model 3 to work out. That has been the game plan all along. So, if they can't get there and uh, produce and deliver these vehicles profitably and on time, I mean, the things look really great for this company, but as we as we've seen with Model X, the track record is still a little a little shaky. But for now, man, the company is just in a great position with so much customer excitement. And you have to remember, this is a company that doesn't spend any money on marketing. So to have that level of excitement with no no dollars being spent on marketing is really quite impressive. Have they given any indication of? I'm thinking about. Let's just, for the sake of argument, assume that it ends up being 400,000 pre-orders. Okay, just just for the sake of of this question, what percentage of people, and maybe they've indicated something along these lines, or maybe you have a number in your head, but what percentage of those people, if they come back later this year or sometime next year and say, you know what, I I want my thousand dollars back. I'm not waiting anymore. Is there a number that for you spells trouble? That is it ten percent? Is it twenty percent? Is do you have a number in your head where you go, you know what, this this is a, a definitely a, a red flag. It, it's really 
hard hard to look at because Tesla is they're a unique enough company in their own right, but then they're also delivering directly to consumers. So they're not going through auto franchises or, or dealerships. So that's also something to take into account. But looking at some numbers just for what this could mean, just in terms of the pre-orders and what the implications are for the company in terms of cash. Let's assume that 70% of the people who have pre-ordered as of this latest number, so about 276,000 people, let's assume 70% of those people end up buying the car. And uh, you can assume that with you know some of the add-ons and upgrades to the car, that the average selling price will probably be closer to forty thousand or forty-two thousand dollars. Those are some of the estimates that I've seen around. But obviously, that that's a moving target at this point. So let's so going back to those numbers. So seventy percent of the people converting to buying the final product, average selling price of forty-two thousand dollars. That would represent more than eight billion dollars in sales just with those pre-orders, and that's more than double what. The sales Tesla had last year in 2015. So even with those pre-orders at 276,000, is probably well higher by now. Those numbers are from a couple of days ago. The, the, there is still a lot of potential with these pre-orders. But I think, I mean, in my own head, I, I would think if if more than 30 percent of those pre-orders end up don't not or not buying the car, that would probably be a red flag. But it's still it's such a unique model. It's hard to really pinpoint. The best way to look at this, but in my head, I think you know if you get seventy percent of those people to actually become a Tesla buyer over the next couple of years, once the Model Three is ready, hopefully on time, I, I would think that's a success for for Tesla because I mean that that's a massive increase in sales just with pre-orders. We should mention the stock because it's up about sixteen percent since they. Since last week when they unveiled the Model Three, yeah, it's at its highest point since last fall. And you and I were talking before we started taping because it's up about three percent this morning. But before the market opened, the news broke about the miss on deliveries, and the stock was down about three percent. And you had you had the short sellers coming in there, and I, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a slam dunk that this company is a success. But Elon Musk is on the short list of CEOs that I would never dream of shorting his stock. Never. Just because <laughs> yeah. there's there's no, he's crazy in a good way, and so I and I also think that this is a stock that like if you're trying to value, if if you're in the automotive industry and you're looking at Ford Motor and GM and you're trying to apply the same way that you value those stocks to this company. I think that's just a huge mistake. There's a lot going on behind the scenes with Tesla, and man, Elon Musk just a brilliant entrepreneur, brilliant engineer. It's rare when you have those two qualities in someone. You have some examples through history. Like Steve Jobs is a great recent example, and uh, I mean, Elon Musk he still owns more than 22 percent of the company, so he has a lot of skin in the game with Tesla. But what's amazing about Tesla is to make this mass market model 3 vehicle they need to revolutionize the lithium ion battery uh, industry like you can't have these affordable electric cars without affordable mass produced lithium ion batteries so tesla uh, is in the process of completing the uh, gigafactory in nevada which <laughs> I, I didn't realize this but in the model 3 unveiling he elon musk mentioned that this in terms of physical area this is the largest building in the world uh, that that was, so, so I mean, wow. really astonishing. And there, the, the battery production out of the Gigafactory, Tesla's Gigafactory in Nevada, will uh, surpass 
the production of all other lithium-ion batteries in the world combined. So this is a massive factory, and this is just the first one. They're planning to build more, possibly in Japan or uh, somewhere else. So Tesla is has huge ambitions, and it shows on the cash flow statements the company is just burning through cash. They're investing a lot in capital expenditures, building out these factories. Um, but yeah, Elon Musk he is similar to I would say Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs, just uh, a brilliant engineer, a very savvy entrepreneur. And man, he just has a vision, and he's uh, he, he's disciplined and just determined to make make that vision a reality. I think there are going to be a lot of things interesting to watch related to this story over the next couple of years, and one of them, for me anyway, is how the other traditional automakers react. Because I've talked to a couple of people who work in the automotive industry who have said over the last couple of years, we're keeping our powder dry until they come out with a mass market vehicle, and then we're going to go after them. So, it'll yeah. be interesting to see. What form that takes and how that works out. Absolutely. At Market Foolery is our Twitter handle from Tavo Hermanis in South Africa, uh, who tw- very nicely tweeted a story uh, from The Economist entitled Blinded by the Light. And the subtitle is Two Big Potential Bankruptcies Cast a Shadow Over the Solar Landscape. We, we touched on uh, one of these companies in a recent episode, and that's Sun Edison. Mm-hmm. And the other is Abengoa, which is a um, a renewable uh, an engineering firm in Spain. And I'm curious because I know you, the solar power industry is one that you watch. And as a as an industry, it's had a pretty nice run, I would say, for the last five to eight ten years. In terms of not just results, but growing acceptance, certainly some of the stocks have had good runs. And I think that for whatever questions existed about the viability of solar power before, say, 2005, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a lot of people Saying no, this is there's no viability. So I think I think that, you know solar power as a viable power option, as as a viable way to invest. I think that's those questions have been answered. Mm-hmm. That said, <laughs> when you look, I mean these are two large companies that are, uh, you know, on on the verge of just completely collapsing. And I'm wondering when you look at a story like this, do you look at this and think? Well, that's them. That's not the industry as as a whole. Or do you think part of this story includes a cautionary tale for investors? I think it's it's worth being cautious here. Uh, As as we talked about with Tesla, you know, similar to to the story with Tesla, these are companies that are burning through cash and they have a good amount of debt. Anytime you have a scenario like that, there is higher risk for investors because. these are companies they're dependent on issuing stock they're dependent on borrowing money to finance the business and they're plowing through cash at a very rapid rate so sun edison as an example their operating cash flow last year over the past 12 months negative 1.4 billion dollars capital expenditures of 3 billion dollars so that shows you they're burning four almost 4.5 billion dollars in cash each year they have a net debt position of nearly 8 billion dollars so just taking a quick look at the balance sheet and the cash flow statement, you can get a sense for the position a company is in. Sun Edison would not be able to operate their business without borrowing money. And that 
that just in and of itself increases your risk as an investor. So I think when you're looking at a very promising and kind of a rule-breaking type of industry like solar, like obviously there's a, a big mass movement just consumer-wise and industry-wise um, when it comes to renewable energies like like solar. You know, you want to size any investment in your portfolio accordingly, especially when it's kind of these earlier stage or just really capital intensive stage type of companies like Sun Edison. And this goes for even a company like Solar City, which is probably the most widely followed solar company here at the Fool. And as we've seen with the performance of that stock over the past year, it's for one, it's going to be volatile. And when um, market sentiment changes for the worse, there isn't a whole lot of a bottom <laughs> on the stock because there's no earnings, uh, there's a huge amount of debt, no positive cash flow. They're burning through cash as a business. So you just have to recognize that these are a riskier companies. Certainly, when you're uh, th- thinking in terms of potential of bankruptcy happening, it's, it's higher with <laughs> these kind of companies, and, and uh, the share prices will will be more volatile. So. Of course, it is kind of company to company. Uh, Sun Edison they they tend to invest more in solar farms, so kind of closer to like the traditional utility model of generating electricity. Whereas you have companies like uh, Vivint Solar and Solar City, which tend to be focused and concentrated on rooftop solar, which to me actually makes a little more sense, just because you don't have to use any. Uh, you, you don't. You can use existing real estate to produce solar with with the rooftop solar model. You just put it on on top of the roof, and you're good to go. And Tesla actually also has a dog in this fight, as well, uh, with the Gigafactory, which we talked about. So as these lithium-ion batteries become more and more affordable and uh, more and more mass-produced, uh, potentially you can even cut out the traditional utilities. You won't even have to kind of plug into the the existing utilities as we know them today. You could just have your own, you know, battery pack with your house that that can store. Um, any excess uh, electricity generated by the solar panels. So, Solar City has mentioned that they think every solar system that they install within the next, at this point, within the next eight to ten years, will have a battery pack installed. So that means each house that gets that that solar system would have a battery pack. Whether or not Solar City <laughs> is able to last as a business until then is another question. Whether or not that actually happens is another one. But that's certainly the direction that um, some visionary people in this industry. See the solar industry um, heading. Whether you're talking about Elon Musk or his cousins, the Rive brothers, so it's a fascinating industry. But definitely tread tread with caution here. I wouldn't I wouldn't make uh, investments in solar an oversized position in a portfolio. It's it's going to be a very volatile industry. But on the plus side, even if you just have a small position in some of these companies like Solar City, a small position is really all you need. If if solar takes off or a company like Solar City. Takes off in the way that a lot of us here at the Fool expect it to over a period of ten plus years. Small position is all you need. You don't need to load up on one of these companies to to be rewarded as an investor. Don't back up the truck on Sun Edison. No, no, any company that's burning through cash at this rate, you know, invest a smaller amount. Before I let you go, earnings season kicks off next week. What is one thing you're going to be watching, whether it's an individual company, an industry, anything? Just one thing you're you're curious to see this earnings season. Something on on a broader level, not specific to any companies. Just seeing how companies are performing in 2016, because 
I noticed any with with some of the companies I followed, they gave relatively what I consider to be relatively soft guidance for 2016 as a whole. So I'm just curious if we get any more color as to why that is, or if maybe they're uh, you know sandbagging their their estimates a little bit, so trying to maybe <laughs> exceed those estimates, so setting the bar low so they can exceed um, the the projections. But in general, that that's what I'm curious to see is how companies are performing. In 2016, now that we'll have a quarter under our belt, and what what they're projecting for the rest of the year. Obviously, you know each company is going to be different, but as a whole, I noticed that 2016 seemed to have relatively soft guidance. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether these first quarter results kind of back back that up, or if if there's something deviating from that. I think one difference between right now and a year ago is a year ago you still had some analysts and you still had some companies talking about their forward guidance in terms of the price of oil going back up in a significant way. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you've got anybody doing <laughs> like not to say oil doesn't you know bump back up. I mean it's up about maybe 30% or so off of its recent lows. Mm-hmm. It's not to say it doesn't go higher. But I don't think you've got anyone baking that into their guidance right yeah, now. Yeah, you don't want to count on that. And if a company is, you probably want to take that with a very big grain of salt. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fuller. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey.